I'm super happy. Are you happy? Welcome to the BU Find Happy Podcast. Here you'll find tips and tricks to inspire you on your way to happiness, to live a courageous life of authenticity, and learn how to speak your truth with grace. I'm Michaela Johnson, and welcome to our podcast. Welcome to the BU Find Happy podcast. I am so excited to have you on. I have to tell you, just, uh, you know, learning a little bit more about you in preparation for this show was so cool. I mean, you have had the most incredible story, and I am just really looking forward to talking about your journey uh, of one year, triumph over cancer, and your experience as a as a SeaWorld dolphin trainer, which I'm, I mean, I'm just obsessed with dolphins. So I can't wait to chat about that. Could you share with the listeners a little bit about who you are and how you kind of came to be where we are now? Well, that's a long story, but I'll try to <laughs> condense it. Uh, my name is Joy Clausen Soto, and I am a former dolphin trainer. I am a cancer survivor. I am a documentary filmmaker. <laughs> I am recently an author. I just published my first book, which is called Joy, the Story of a Dolphin Trainer, Filmmaker, and Cancer Survivor, which goes through my whole journey through cancer and back. It's kind of like a, you know, it's it's one of the stories that I love to read, which is the story of someone who's, you know, doing well, and then all of a sudden things just fall out from underneath them and how that person's able to make it back to a good life. And that's my story. Um, so, and where I, how I've gotten there. Oh, this, this is a long story. I think I need to <laughs> me some questions because I have a lot I can go into. I love it. Well, I mean, I think just to start, I, I feel like we would be remiss if we didn't talk about um, how you decided to become a dolphin trainer and your experience with connecting with these incredible, magnificent beings on the planet. Um, can you just share a little bit about that and how they maybe inspired your life and how um you know, that kind of tied into everything later on. Can you share a little bit about the dolphin experience? Yeah. Well, the reason why I got into working with animals was because I was going to school for a degree in psychology, which is something that I'm very interested in. I love psychology. But as I started going through it and realizing, you know, that I would probably be listening to people's problems all day long. <laughs> that's I what realized, I for a living, by the way. Yeah, well, I, and, and I think that's fantastic. I know that I am someone who's not cut out to do that because yeah. I, I just wouldn't be able to do it. I, I would hold on to all of it. Um, so I started looking for other things to do. And one of the things that I've always loved, it's like one of those dream jobs you think, oh, well, that will never happen, but it would be great if. And I started uh, thinking about working with dolphins and uh, how I could do that and finding a different capacity where I could work with them. And so I, when I was going to school, I started volunteering at the Waikiki Aquarium with Hawaiian monk seals. I started wow. training them. And so that was free. I wasn't getting paid, but I was going there every day to work with them. And it was fantastic. And then I got another unpaid job this time working with dolphins. And then after a while, I finally got my first paying job at Sea Life Park in Hawaii, where I was a dolphin trainer there. And, you know, years later, I was able to get into SeaWorld and get my dream job as a dolphin trainer at SeaWorld. So that, that's kind of how I got there. And working with animals was just incredible because you have this 
connection with them that you just, I can't explain. It's just, it is something that is incredible. There's, and every dolphin and every trainer is different, just like people. We're all different people. They all have different personalities and some trainers work better with some animals um, than other animals. And so I would have like certain animals that I would really work well with. And, you know, like it, it was like fire <laughs> when we were working together, you know, like you'd see the animal get really excited and we'd both be excited and, you know, doing all these cool, fun things. Um, but it's that incredible connection that I just am really grateful I had an experience with. You know, I, I, I had I did that I did that for about 15 years of my life. And it was probably some of the happiest times I've ever had in my entire life. You know, it's it's cool as you're talking because I had I had a retired racing greyhound that became a pet assisted therapy dog. Um, so I took her through the entire AKC program, which was pretty unheard of for Greyhound um, because of them having to need to be able to walk off leash and for them to be able to sit um, bone structurally wise. It's just difficult for Greyhounds. And um, so that experience of bonding with her and then taking her into the hospital facilities and seeing the ways in which she um, impacted and changed so many lives. And then now having, uh, three, I, my Aussie's three years old and he's a pet assisted therapy dog too. And, um, so, uh, COVID kind of changed. We used to go into the elderly care facilities and it's kind of changed now with COVID, but, um, you know, it's so neat to see, um, their intuitive abilities. And I recently read an article cause I've been doing some research on suicide ideation and things like that. And I recently read an article about a man who jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge. And as most suicide um, survivors, you hear the story that almost, you know, it's a fleeting temporary feeling, um, even though there may have been many things in their life that contributed to that fleeting temporary feeling the moment after they have like this sense of wanting to survive that fight or flight kicks in and, and you want to live. And he talked about how um, a pod of dolphins kept him afloat oh wow it literally in the waters of the golden gate like near alcatraz um until the coast guard arrived oh that's amazing it's amazing right i mean they're just so incredible and uh, so i just find it fascinating that you got a really rare opportunity you know as a as just a person on the planet to connect with these highly intelligent creatures, you know? Yeah. And that was a fun thing to see is with each animal, um, they had different things that motivated them. Um, you know, cause w whenever you're working with an animal, you want to set up different forms of reinforcement. So of course there's food that's, that's called primary reinforcement. So that's something of course they're going to get, but you, you put in other things. So some dolphins really like ice or some like playing with balls or some, um, like there was this one dolphin actually who I started working with and I really didn't feel that connection with her and which I was kind of bummed about cause I, I really didn't understand why I didn't get that connection. And then one day I decided to not give her any fish for the entire interaction. And I just gave her a kiss <laughs> oh. every time she did a good job. So well, not every time, but I like kind of vary it. And I like, you know, give her a hug and a kiss and she went crazy. She was so excited, vocalizing the whole time. I can um, like hear it. I can hear the little. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Wow. So, and then there was another dolphin that really liked ice. I know this, it's not all about this, but, um, that really liked ice. So I would set up this big bucket full of ice. And then when she did something that was like incredible, especially if I was training a new behavior and I wanted to make an impact on her, like, yeah, that's it. 
then um, I'd have that bucket ready. And then when she's coming back from the behavior, I'd start dumping the bucket of ice in the water. And she would just come up. She's like, stop on a dime <laughs> um, when she got to the ice and then just start munching on the ice. And then she'd be whistling like, this really high pitched little like little whistle that she would do uh, because she was just so excited about eating the ice and that was it for the session I mean she would just be eating the ice but uh, it it was just that that the joy of knowing animals in that way where you get to know what really motivates them and and what they find reinforcing and just learning their different personalities but I think what you're talking to which is so like important is positive reinforcement in relationships in general, right? Like, I mean, it, I think it's one of those things when I was raising my son, I tried to spend a lot of time. I mean, I'm still raising my son. He's 10, but when when he was two and three years old and we'd go out to eat somewhere, you know, I tried to spend a lot of time telling him like, you know, mommy really likes how you're sitting so nice in your chair right now. And then I would try to encourage the behavior by, doing things that I knew that he enjoyed. I mean, and my son's a very, a very big acts of service kid. Um, so he absolutely loves if I will sit with him at the dining table and work on his RC plane or whatever, you know, so understanding what drives the person or the relationship of, you know, that you're in and, and being able to positively reinforce the behaviors that you yourself want to receive, I think is so important from just a psychological relationship standpoint in general, you know? Oh yeah, absolutely. Something that was really interesting with the dolphins is that um, when they would do something that wasn't correct or something that you didn't want to reinforce, all we would do is something called the least reinforcing scenario. We called it the LRS. And so the animal would come back and all, all we would do is just be boring for three seconds. Yeah. So we wouldn't move. We would yep. like, cause even a, a movement of our body could be reinforcing. So we would move for three seconds and then they still had an opportunity to be reinforced after that for being good. So anyway, uh, for but, being nice but, and you, but you know, you, you make the point and, and I often tell people this, um, in uh, working as a psychotherapist with people is that like any behavior, like for example, I always use the, the golden retriever example. If you come over to my house and my golden retriever jumps up on you and you shove my golden retriever off, he goes, cool. I maybe didn't get the love that I wanted, but I still got attention, right? Yeah. So it's like right. turn around and walk the other way and don't engage at all. And um, this is my animals. It's crazy, especially my Aussie. He will sit there and do the butt wobble, like waddle. <laughs> yeah. He just cannot even hardly stand himself, but he will not jump up. Because he learned that gets me nothing whatsoever. Yeah. And uh, my greyhound, when I had her, uh, you know, she had a lot of separation anxiety being raised in a track environment, um, you know, with constant other dogs and things like that. So when I would leave and and arrive home, there was a period of like, just totally ignore don't engage until she would calm down and then engage. So I think that's another important thing from a humanistic standpoint, too. It's like, you know... If if somebody's behaving in a way in which you don't like, um, don't engage back. Don't don't yes. scream back. Don't get defensive. Just no, thank you. I, no thanks. Not today. Yeah. Okay. You know. Absolutely. Uh, okay, let's talk about let's talk about your journey of surviving cancer. Holy moly! Um, now that we've kind of like wrapped up the the <laughs> the, the dolphin coolness. Um, so so you're 25. I'm I'm gonna kind of just like share what I understand. Sure. Okay, so you're so you're 25. 
you're at kind of like the height of this fabulous career that is a, your dream job and you get a you you get the realization or the information or the call or whatever that you've been diagnosed with what was a non-aggressive or non not as life-threatening type of cancer and then that changed can you share your story from there Sure. And just real quick, I had been, so I've been the, a dolphin trainer, had my dream job. And then I decided to, to pursue another dream of mine, which was to become a filmmaker. And so I had left SeaWorld, drove three miles up or not three miles, three hours up to Ventura, Santa Barbara area to go to a school up there. And it was a few months in the school that I found a lump on my throat. And that's when I was diagnosed with cancer. I've been coughing for a few weeks and the week and the cough was getting worse instead of better. And then finally I found that lump, which honestly, this is crazy, but I have video footage of me from a month before that, that I then went and checked out and you can see the lump a month before I found it. So I don't know how long I'd had it for. I try to find more pictures, but that was the only one I had. Um, so it'd been there for a while and it was festering for a while. So I ended up being, um, stage two non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. I was misdiagnosed in the, in the beginning. you you mentioned that I had as, as Hodgkin's lymphoma, lymphoma, which has a higher success rate, but it ended up being non-Hodgkin's. Um, so it just became a more aggressive cancer and I'm blessed that they found that because if not, I would have been undertreated. Um, but I started this journey of, documenting, documenting everything that I went through. Um, I had been going to film school and film school said I couldn't continue with them, which I thought was crazy. But I, my proposal to them was, Hey, I'm going to be going through chemotherapy. I can't do all of the work, but I do still want to go to school and sit in class and learn. And they said no to that. And I, so, like, I, I'm, I mean, my stomach turned upside down when you said that. Like how (laughs) disgusting, right? Like, I mean, here's somebody who's potentially got a fatal life-threatening illness and all they want is to continue a passion that they had. And you're going to do that? Really? I mean, and then hindsight, I'm picturing that scene from Pretty Woman where she walks back in with all the bags (laughs) of clothes. You know, she's like, big mistake. Huge. Huge. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. So, okay. So you... So you're like, it doesn't matter if you guys are going to essentially kick me out of this, this school, I'm going to continue to document the journey because this is my passion and this is what I want to do. And perhaps this can help others. Yeah. Because I mean, that's the thing is you're going to get thrown these curveballs in life and it's just a matter of, you know, what you decide to do. It didn't matter that the school decided me, decided to tell me that I couldn't continue on, but it decided, it mattered that I decided to go on. So I decided to make a documentary on myself in the hopes of showing a story of survival because all the stories I showed, all right, I saw, sorry, all the stories I saw at that point were stories of people who were dying in the end. And so I wanted to show a story of survival and I wanted to continue learning about filmmaking. So I started documenting everything. I had people um, from film school in with me on my first chemotherapy treatment, you know, so I was the only person who showed up with a camera and tripod and cameraman Wow! Um, to start my chemotherapy. <laughs> and then I had it the whole time. I had um, my friends there. I was filming um, and it really, I think, helped me get through it in the terms of that it, it, I got to focus on something else. So I wasn't focused on the scary thing. I mean, I uh, obviously I thought about it and I was scared, but I had something else that I really wanted to do. And I wanted to make something beautiful out of this. And I wanted to make something that would, um, give hope to other people who are going through cancer. I just absolutely love it. And so how, 
I mean, to share with the listeners, how, how was your recovery? Are you completely free? What, where, where are you at in this process now? Sure. I am almost 20 years out. So on Thanksgiving of this year, that's what I count as Thanksgiving since that's when I found it wow. 20 years ago. So on Thanksgiving of this year, it will be 20 years that I'm, um, that since my cancer diagnosis and, um, I was cancer free the next year after going through it. So, um, yeah, I've been great for a very long time. And, and the only thing is, and I don't think that people talk about this a lot is that after I was done with cancer, the doctor says, okay, now you can go back to normal life. And I'm sitting there bald wow. and I'm weak, you know, my muscles have atrophied. And I didn't feel like I could go back to normal life. And I didn't feel like the same person I had been before. I'd been beaten nope. down. And I'd been, you know, putting on this mask of strength the entire time. So it's like everything kind of fell apart after that. Wow. Um, so it took me a while to get back on my feet. I had PTSD. Um, I was just lost because I had just changed careers. And then finally, after years, I was lost for years. After years, I decided to go back to SeaWorld. And that's when things started to come back into place. And I, I started a program there for kids who have cancer oh where they gosh. can, yeah, go to the park and get in the water to meet a dolphin. And I, one of the most important things to me about that program was not just, you know, making a fun day for the kids, but letting them know that I have been treated at Children's Hospital because that's where I was treated. Um, I have been treated at Children's Hospital just like they're being treated and, um, I had cancer and now I get to work here at my dream job and I get to share it with them. So I, I told them all about that every time. Um, mm -hmm. it took me a couple of times in the beginning to realize that I needed to do that because I thought they knew that I had been a cancer survivor, but they didn't. So then I started kind of giving a little, a short, short speech before they went in, um, just so that they could see someone who was on the other side and, had their hair back and was working at their dream job to inspire them, you know, that they can do the same thing too. Oh, I told myself I wasn't going to get emotional on this one. <laughs> I'm like sitting here like choking back stuff. Um, I, just because so many thoughts are coming to mind as you're talking about that. I mean, the fact that so many people don't take lemons and make lemonade, you know, but not only did you do that, but then to turn around and say, now I have a new passion and a new purpose. And I think that turning a passion into purpose is where it's, mm -hmm. it's what life is all about, especially midlife. Right. I mean, and so in your situation, you're faced with this uh, terminal kind of scenario and going through all of that and then finding your way back to recovery and then feeling this sense of like, but I'm not the person that I was before I started this journey. So what now, you know, and to be able to redefine um, what that looks like for you. And I think a lot of people go through life in motion and come to a point where they hit that same spot of like, wow, I don't think this is my purpose. I, I don't think I'm living it. I think I'm doing what I was expected to do or whatever, but I'm not living my true life meaning, you know? And so I think yeah. that's so profound the other day. Um, so my husband, I've been begging him for years. Um, to, to start doing the Angels West flights. Um, he's a pilot. I'm a pilot. Uh, wow. and, uh, but I'm a student pilot, so I couldn't do it myself. And so he finally got all signed up to do it, which is so awesome. So he does these, um, these charitable flights. He'll pick someone up from a tiny airport in a small town and take them to a place that has, uh, the medical care that they need. So often transporting, you know, like for example, his most recent transport was a 10 year old with cancer. And, um, 
to needed to get out to like Palo Alto Bay area. And it's, uh, it's amazing when you see the resiliency and the strength that people can have when put in these situations. But I think you're what you spoke to by saying, you know, I was putting, I was putting out that I was so strong because I had to be, and it was where I, what I tapped into inside myself. But, but the flip side of that is that at some point it's, exhausting you know like you get to a point when you're like okay uncle (laughs) yeah like like I need I need my bucket filled up and I think that it's so cool that you're saying I've created the situation to give people some sense of hope even if they have all that they need inside all the strength and grit and resiliency you know to yeah to see someone come out on the other side is maybe what especially kids need to have some hope and some faith you know yeah, absolutely. I think that's what, for me, when I was going through cancer, I wanted to see examples of people who had cancer and everything was normal again. Like somehow they went back to normal life. And I never, in the hospital, I didn't find those people. Like I remember going to some meetings. Um, they had some group meetings at the hospital and, um, you know, the, the people who ran it, I remember going up and looking at the girls who were running it and they had long hair and they looked really pretty. And I was, and so I would, you know, wheel my little IV over to them. So did you have cancer? And Oh no, I didn't have cancer. Mm -mm. Okay. And then same thing with the next person. Um, no, I didn't have cancer. And so for me, that was important to, to show that. And that's why I wrote the book. Um, and it has pictures in it and everything. Cause so you can see me like going to SeaWorld. You can see me when I'm sick. You can see me when I'm, I'm thriving afterwards. Um, because I want this to give people hope when they're going through a difficult time, whether it's cancer or something else. Um, but I think that, that it's important to know that other people go through it. Cause it almost feels like what's wrong with me. Why am I not succeeding? Why are all these other people, you know, the, all these like people on Instagram or what, you know, all this stuff that you see on right. social media, why are they doing so well and, and what's wrong with me? Um, so, so I, I just want to put that out there to help people. Um, and something else that I, I want to mention is that I think it's really important to put good stuff into your brain. <laughs> so to put motivational things, inspiring things um, it, into your system so that you can, withstand something that happens to you. Um, when I went through cancer, I actually had, had listened to Zig Ziglar, who is a motivational speaker. Um, and his words always inspired me. And so I, during one of my darkest times where I, I was just so upset and angry, cause I had this, my boyfriend basically stopped talking to me when he found out I had cancer. Well, um, we'll add so, him to the list of big mistakes. Huge. Yeah. <laughs> So I was, I just want to explain why I was so angry. Um, so I was super angry and I actually started feeling pain where I had the cancer, which I had never felt before. So I knew that my state of being, my, my mental state was actually affecting me. And I was able to recall the things that Zig Ziglar had said, and they helped me to, you know, readjust what, how I was thinking and to start thinking of what I was grateful for and going over all of that. Um, so I, I think it's so important that people do that on a daily basis is to get that motivational um, information in there, whether it's from, you know, a tape or a book or a video, just something to help inspire them. Well, it's interesting that you say that because um, this was one of the next questions that I wanted to ask you was, and just to touch on that before I even kind of dive into the questions, I totally concur. I completely wholeheartedly agree with you. And, you know, I recently, had um the alien 
COVID. And uh, I feel like I was like one of the first people in our town, or at least in my social structure that got it, like, you know, the the latest and greatest and kind of the whole thing. And so I was really vocal about it on social media. Um, but the biggest thing for me was one, sharing the story. I feel like a path to healing is sharing the story. And two was, um, just staying positive. You know, I mean, I think Mm -hmm. that it's so important to reach out to people who bring you inspiration and hope and to find those things that you find beauty in. And because I really do feel like, um, our mental state dictates the reaction that happens throughout our body. I mean, even if we just look at it from a cortisol standpoint Mm -hmm. and the way that stress moves throughout the body, I really do feel that you're completely correct. It's so important. Um, and you know, kind of even tapping back into, you know, kids that maybe feel bullied at school and things are struggling with depression and stuff like that. I think that an important thing for them is to have someone that they can just talk to that doesn't shame them for feeling depressed, that they can share that they're having a down day, you know, a a crappy, you know, feeling a moment, whatever, and then inspires them not in a way that takes away their anger, depression or whatever, but um, provides them with a different insight or um, thought on the way that they could look at things, you know? Yeah, I think a lot of it is how you frame it in your own thoughts. So, I mean, you can frame it in a negative way or in a positive way. And, you know, I, I, just even knowing the fact that failure is a big part of success, knowing that can help someone to succeed because they'll know it's okay if I fail because I'll keep trying and trying and one day I'll get it. Um, so even that framework instead of going, Oh, I failed again, you know, like that small twist in, in something like that can help someone continue on until they do succeed. So I, I definitely think the way you frame things is huge. And for me, I still listen to Zig Ziglar. I actually met him. Um, they, so I was doing the documentary and, um, it's a documentary on, well, I, I mentioned that before, but on myself, <laughs> what I went through. And so I contacted him to ask if I could use some of his words in my documentary. And he said, yes. And then before I knew it, um, his company actually called me up and said, Hey, we want to fly you out to Texas so you can give a speech to Zig Ziglar. And so I got, I flew out there. Um, and if, if you don't know him, look him up, Zig Ziglar, great motivational speaker. Um, I, I mean, his words, just the way he tells stories really connects with me and more than I've ever had with anyone else, any other motivational or inspirational speaker. So I got flown out to Texas, gave a speech in front of him, which was terrifying. And then afterwards (laughs) he told me that I should write a book. Um, But, and so he told me I should write a book. um, And if you write a book, I'll find you a publisher for it. Uh, He passed away way before I ever published my book. I just published it this year, but um, something that happened before I left was they, I mean, this wonderful company, this, this, these people are just so loving. They gave me this big bag full of all of Zig stuff. So wow. I have like all of these, see, I mean, they're worth probably a, a, easily over a thousand dollars. Wow. Like CDs and tapes and books and just everything. And then I had, you know, a book that he had just released signed <laughs> that day. So it was really amazing. And I still listen to them. So even today I'll, I'll be listening to his tapes while I'm waiting to pick up my kids from school. <laughs> wow. That is incredible. Um, and so as you're kind of reflecting on overcoming this aggressive cancer, do you think that your mindset was the biggest thing 
I mean, what was it really? Uh, yeah, I think it was mindset. I think that I think that visualizing was very helpful. And I would say to myself, I'm cancer free, I'm cancer free, I'm cancer free, I'm cancer free again and again and again. Um, I think even though, I mean, who knows if that did anything? It's my brain. <laughs> it's my brain, but the brain does so I many things. It does. I it does. I know. But I, for me, a big part of what was happening to me when I was going through it was finding ways to gain back control because um, in that situation with cancer, and I think this relates to a lot of other people, especially during COVID, I felt a huge loss of control over what was happening to me um, and, and just the course of my life, what was going to happen in my life. And so whenever I could find a way to grab back some control, that helped me feel better and felt and it actually alleviated the depression that I was going through. So I would like I had a notebook for myself um, that had all my medical information in it for when I was at the hospital. Um, and that helped give me some control instead of feeling like I had to wait and make sure the doctors and nurses were doing everything correctly, which I, I don't know. But I carry my little notebook with, you know, the chemotherapy I should be getting wow. and <laughs> all, all wow. of that information. Um, and then just saying I'm cancer free. That was another way I'd visualize that the chemotherapy was eating the cancer um, just, and then just being positive, just having people around me because I knew just like, I knew that I wasn't cut out to, you know, be a therapist and listen to people. <laughs> I knew that, um, I needed to have people around me because when I was alone, those were the most difficult times. So I had people around me all the time and those difficult times of being alone were a lot less when I was going through cancer. So, well, um, that all helped. Well, yeah. And I think that you know, you even, you even speak to something, um, more important, which is the art of visualization and, um, you know, whether people agree or disagree, I, I firmly believe our, you know, where our mind goes, energy flows, you know? And so yeah. I love that you're describing that you would visualize this, that you would see yourself kind of in a different space and, you know, I often tell people in my life, it's funny, they'll say, well, what are you doing about this? Or what are you doing about that? And I'll say, I can't see it yet. <laughs> and yeah. when I can see it, then I know I can create it. But until then, it's not the right time or things aren't aligning quite as they're supposed to yet or whatever. And I think that I think that it's important. I think visualization and creating what we want to create is, is you know, a big part of our life existence. I really do. And when I was a dolphin trainer, I really saw that in take place because I, I really wanted this job at SeaWorld and I happened to call on a Monday when they were about to take the job off the job line. So they said, send in your resume, sent my resume in. And then I was invited to come out. I think I, I flew out on Wednesday, which was the last day they had swim tests. And so I, before I flew out, I tried doing the swim test and I couldn't do it. In fact, I failed miserably. Not even just, I, it wasn't like I was missing by a little bit. I could only swim about a quarter of the distance without coming up for air because you have to go 120 feet underwater with one breath oh. of air. So oh. I couldn't, I physically, physically could not do it. And then I didn't have any more time to practice because I had to go out there. I, I didn't have a lot of lead in time to doing this. So I flew out and since I couldn't physically practice, I practiced in my mind. And I remembered, you know, cause I'd been studying psychology, how um, a lot of athletes actually use visualization when they're doing things like the basketball players will visualize the ball going through, through the hoop. So I started visualizing <laughs> myself 
uh, swimming through the water, wanting to give up, but not giving up and continuing on. And because I did that, I did it the whole time. I practiced holding my breath. And then the next morning I went there and I jumped into the 60 degree water, which was freezing um, in a wow. bathing suit, I, which that, that alone takes away your breath. But I was able to do all the things that I couldn't do the day before. And the only thing that had happened was I changed my thinking. I started visualizing it. Um, so I, you know, that made me think, well, did it help me do it? Or I was able to do it the whole time, but my, I wasn't, my brain wasn't in the right place, um, to allow me to do it the first time the day before. So I saw the power of visual visualization with getting that job. And I knew that it was a really important part of, you know, just life in general, but also of getting through cancer. Wow. I love that. And, and I don't think that you're wrong. Um, so, you know, in kind of reflecting on your story and what you wrote it for and all of that, what advice might you have to people who are just feeling really kind of down on the future right now? Like what what would you say to people who are maybe maybe not even dealing with a terminal illness or anything like that, but just are just feeling down from the way the world is? I would encourage them to start <laughs> listening to motivational things and to like, for me, it's Zig Ziglar. Other people like Tony Robbins. I, I Tony Robbins is a good guy, <laughs> but I, I, I like, I like Zig Ziglar. I mean, there's tons of people out there that you can listen to that will help you. And I'm telling you, it just kind of resets your brain and the way you're thinking. And that helps kind of get rid of <clears throat> that negative thinking that you might have. And, and I totally get it because I need to do it. And when I don't do it, I start to feel like the weight of the world starts to come at me. But when I start listening to him, it's like, yeah, that's right. That's, that's a good way to think about it. And I think if you do that, that would help out immensely with, you know, being able to accomplish more things and to not feel the weight of the world. I, I absolutely agree with that. I love it. And I think that, you know, somebody once said to me very recently that, uh, you know, you, you have to not take life so, so intensely. Like you have to just kind of appreciate the lightness of it and let most things roll off your back. And I really do love that. I still have a tough time though when somebody's driving like an idiot in front of me, but still, (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think it is important that we lighten up a little bit. You know, I, I had this situation today where I'm, I'm uh, sitting in the parking lot waiting to get my Dutch brothers and I, I left plenty of room for whoever might need to go, you know, not get in the Dutch brothers line and go through. And this woman just came through and she was just so hopped up. She was so angry that it was like not as much space as she wanted. And I thought, wow, if she is that worked up and that upset, you know, over this, I can't yeah. imagine her relationships and not to judge, but just, I can't imagine the angst she must feel in all these other places in her life, you know, like, yeah, it's a good day. Like it's a good day. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe, and maybe it's not for her. I mean, maybe she's just found out some terrible news and she's just wanting to take it out on the world. Who knows? But um, I do think that we have to kind of look for the brighter, more positive, lighter things and let go of a lot of the stuff that we want to be grumpy and angry about, you know? Yeah. And that's when, that's why being grateful and looking at the things you do have to be grateful for in your life is really important. And that, that, that was something that I did right away when I had cancer. I started, you know, okay, well, I found it in a stage two. It could be stage three or four. You know, um, they found it. That's another positive. I have all of these friends and family that are showing me love. 
So, uh, which I honestly, I, I feel like I never would have experienced if I hadn't gone through cancer. So, you know, even with being sick and being diagnosed with something devastating like that, I was able to find things to be grateful for. So there's always something to be grateful for. And when you start focusing on that, that really, you know, changes, changes everything in your brain and, and it makes you feel a lot better. You know, there was something else that if I had a pen and paper, I would have jotted it down when you said it. I didn't want to interrupt you as you were speaking, but um, there was something else you had said um, prior that I totally agreed with. But as you're talking now, I started thinking, you know, how many people these days with the pandemic, the way it is, are not able to have loved ones with them. And I just think that's one of the greatest tragedies that of all of this is, you know, letting people be sick alone. And um, yeah, I've not been quiet on this podcast about you know, when I, when I got COVID, it's cause you know, my, my son had contracted it and there was no way that I was not going to love up on him and give him yeah. kisses and hugs and all of that, because that, that is what life is about. Like it is about connecting with people. It is about having these experiences or animals in your case, you know, and having yeah. these experiences where, um, we create lasting memory memories for both and legacy, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, by the way, I wouldn't be able to do that either. I have two kids and I, if they were sick with COVID, I would absolutely be there and just right? deal with it. Yes. I, I, I get it. Kissy all over. Like I'm not, <laughs> that's not, I'm not, this is my like fundamental job as a mom, you know? Yeah. Um, and you know, it, it would, it would be any other, it would be any other thing where I would literally lay down my life the same, you know, like that's just how it is. Um, I realize not everybody's cut the same, but that's definitely where I, where I come from. Um, so gosh, I wish I could remember that other thing that you brought up because it was so good and I wanted to touch on it, but I just absolutely love the conversation that we had today. And I think that, um, you know, anytime that we can take a story like this and share the raw, real truths of the fact that, you know, sometimes life is not great. Sometimes it just really isn't. Um, and yet we can find the beauty in it, find the positive in it, find some gratitude and overcome it. And then it becomes our, our story. It, it really does. I think that is what's so wonderful about what you're doing, um, by sharing your story. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And so how can people get your book joy? How can they get that? Well, you can go to Amazon and just look up either Joy Clausen Soto, or you can look up uh, Joy, the story of a dolphin trainer, filmmaker, and cancer survivor, and you'll find it there. It's um, <laughs> Kindle or paperback or um, Audible, so you can do any of those and, and find it there. Um, there it's, a, it's in other places, too, but Amazon's the easiest. Um, and then if you want to get a hold of me, I'm on LinkedIn, um, so just look up Joy Clausen Soto on LinkedIn. And what else? And then I have a website, which is joyclossonsoto.com. Um, and you can get a hold of me there if you'd like to, or just read more about my story. I have videos on there about, uh, that show the interactions that I've done with the kids. Um, so you can just look up a lot more information on me and my story there. So fantastic. And, you know, I, I thought about, I think, I, I think I just remember, okay. <laughs> okay, let me tell the <laughs> listeners, as always, we include all of these links in the show notes, but prior to that, um, you know, I was thinking about, as you were talking, how, uh, you know, people have had, I lived in San Diego, I mentioned this to you for a long time, and I had friends that worked at SeaWorld, and, you know, people have some very strong opinions about um, SeaWorld-type parks, the zoos, and things like that, and my perspective has always been, 
typically these are animals that have been injured or can't be in the wild in some way. And if they have an opportunity to change one life by the experience, then that is beautiful. You know, I mean, people have their thoughts on animals being in captivity and things like this, but truly, I mean, I really think that, you know, as you're describing the cancer program and stuff, that is where we change the world. I mean, this is where people that would never be able to get close to have this experience are able to have an experience that could profoundly change how they show up in the world. Yeah. And, and the idea behind zoos and aquariums, which has developed over the years is more to inspire people to care about animals in the wild. I mean, there was a point, you know, uh, gosh, I don't know if it was the sixties or seventies where killer whales were being used as target practice. Um, so uh, that isn't happening anymore, thank goodness. Um, but uh, par- I mean, part of that is that there, there's, you know, places like SeaWorld where there's um, animals there that can inspire other people. So, I mean, uh, we can always improve care. We, but I, whenever I worked there, it was they had incredible care for the animals and incredible enrichment. And the people that worked with them were the most caring people. I mean, the most caring people in the world. So it was, it was really an incredible experience being there. And, you know, the backstory of San Diego, if you really start to research it, is that the World's Fair um, was out there and they flew in all of these creatures and different things from all over the world. I mean, this is how Balboa Park came to be. And then Mm -hmm. nobody had any money when the exposition was over. And so they just left everything. (laughs) And so um, it was um, forgetting her name now, but she the founder for the San Diego Zoo she corralled all of these things and created the zoo from what was essentially just like leftovers, you know? Yeah. I mean, so if you, if you really start to research, you know, most of, most of the intentions have been altruistic, even if they didn't have the knowledge that we have today on how to raise, you know, that kind of animal in captivity or whatever. I mean, and now the programs that they're doing with, you know, nearly extinct animals and things like that. It's yes. really amazing. But I have such a soft spot for all my, I mean, I have a like mini zoo at my house. So yeah. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your story. And again, you know, we always include the links in the show notes for those of you that would like to get in touch with Joy. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Oh, thank you so much. Take care. This has been a BU Find Happy podcast. For more inspiration, check out the links.